Hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. May God bless you as you listen to His Word proclaimed. Good morning, church family. It's Pastor Chris here, and as you can tell, I'm not with you this morning. It's because I am up in Sherman, Texas at Grace United Methodist Church, celebrating their 50th year as a congregation. Back before 2011, I served as their youth director and as associate pastor as that congregation helped me walk through the ordination process and they invited me to come back and to celebrate with them this year-long celebration of their 50th year. That you will be blessed this morning. The pastor of Grace United Methodist Church, Reverend Dr. Frank Drenner, has agreed to do a pulpit swap so where he is preaching here this morning while I am preaching up there at Grace United Methodist Church. Uh, Pastor Dreader has served in many different congregations within the North Texas Conference, and uh, he's been at Grace for the past few years, and I know that you will be blessed by the message that he will be bringing to you this morning. So I invite you to give a warm Royce City welcome to the Reverend Dr. Frank Drenner. Gosh, thank you for that. Oh, where'd he go? He's gone. Uh, I, I can verify that Chris did actually preach this morning. Uh, our service is at 10. And so in between services, I was back there in the prayer room watching him preach. He was great there. So uh, thank you for the opportunity to uh, do this little thing so that the folks at Grace could celebrate Chris and invite him back. And I'm glad to be here. Uh, I've always seen pictures of this church. I love it. It's so gorgeous. And it's so great to be in here. And I'm so grateful for this beautiful sunny day where the windows can really be shown off. So uh, thank you for uh, being here. And, and uh, I know that several of y'all were in the first service and you're here again. So, so I'm sorry for that, but, but uh, it's great to be here today. Um, our uh, text, y'all started a new series last week on covenants in the Bible. And Chris gave me the text of, of the Noah story. I'm going to give you the abridged text. He gave me almost three chapters to read. I'm not going to do that much, but I'll give you kind of a summary of it. So we'll read from Genesis 6, uh, 17 through 22, and then we'll jump forward to chapter 9 and read from uh, 7 through 17. So I invite you to listen for the Word of God. You can read along with me in a Bible you have from home or just listen. God said to Noah... I'm bringing the floodwaters over the earth to destroy everything under the sky that breathes. Everything on earth is about to take its last breath. But I will set up my covenant with you. You will go into the ark together with your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives. From all living things, from all creatures, you are to bring a pair male and female, into the ark with you to keep them alive. From each kind of bird, each kind of livestock, from each kind of everything that crawls upon the ground, a pair from each will go in to stay with you and stay alive. Take some from every kind of food and stow it as food for you and for the animals. 
And Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. Chapter 9, verse 7. As for you, God continuing to talk to Noah. This is after the flood. As for you, be, be fertile and multiply. Populate the earth and multiply in it. God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I am now setting my covenant with you, with your descendants, and with everything living being, the birds, the large animals, and with all the animals of the earth, leaving the ark with you. I will set up my covenant with you so that never again will all life be cut off by floodwaters. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the symbol of the covenant that I'm drawing up between me and you and upon every living thing with you on behalf of every future generation. I've placed my bow in the clouds. It will be the symbol of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember the covenant between me and you and every living being among the creatures. Floodwaters will never again destroy all creatures. The bow will be in the clouds, and upon seeing it, I will remember the enduring covenant between God and every living thing of God's creatures. And God said to Noah, this is the symbol of the covenant that I've set up between me and all the creatures of earth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, what a gorgeous morning you've gifted, us this, this, you've gifted to us today. As the sun shines through these windows, we're reminded of the colors of the rainbow, the symbol of your covenant faithfulness. On a cold morning, the sun reminds us of the warmth of your love. As we have been recipients of your covenant, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, help us to embrace the salvation that you give. Help us to be transformed by it. Help us to live into our redemption, our forgiveness, so that we may be changed and that we may change the world around us. Lord, I pray that as I speak this morning, your word may be heard through me. If not because of me, then in spite of me. It's in the name of Christ that we offer our prayers and our worship. Amen. So I'd like for you all to take a moment, just kind of go in your mental space, and think about your favorite holiday traditions. So maybe it's uh, going out for Tex-Mex after Christmas Eve worship with your family. Or I'll go back into my own memory banks. One of mine was Easter Sunday, the whole family gathering at my grandparents' place. Uncles, cousins, like 60 people for Easter lunch. Think about your favorite holiday, tradition, holiday traditions. And while you're doing that, while you're kind of basking in the glow of those memories, that spiritual place, joy, I'll tell you about another one of my favorite holiday traditions. This has nothing to do with the religious observance. But every New Year's weekend, 
like New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, maybe sometimes the day after New Year's, or sometimes it falls on Labor Day weekend, there is a Twilight Zone marathon on the Sci-Fi channel. Any Twilight Zone friends? <laughs> Same two from, from this morning. Okay, y'all need, need to come on now. This is an amazing show. Now, now the Twilight Zone is readily available today on, on Netflix and Hulu, whatever else. But 10 years ago, you couldn't find it anywhere. The only place you could watch the Twilight Zone was on those marathons, on New Year's weekend or Labor Day weekend, on the Sci-Fi Channel or the USA Network or whatever. I love the Twilight Zone. I have watched it all of my life. My wife hates the Twilight Zone. When it rolls on New Year's Day, as it did this year, she's gone. She's, she's gone. I'm going to sit there with my boys and we're going to watch the Twilight Zone. And I want to tell you about one of my favorite episodes. Whenever they do top ten lists, this one is always on top ten lists somewhere, usually way up near the top. And that is episode number eight, which aired November 20th, 1959. Somebody in here watched it live. I'm, I'm confident. But it's, it stars uh, Burgess Meredith, the late Burgess Meredith, who was uh, perhaps best known as the Penguin from the Batman TV series of the 60s. And he plays this little guy called Henry Bemis. And he has this characteristic, he has these glasses that are like Coke bottle glasses. Like, they're like an inch thick, these glasses of his. And Henry Bemis, we all have our hobbies, right? His thing is reading. He loves to read. It doesn't matter what time of day. It doesn't matter what he's supposed to be doing. He's going to have a book open in front of him. At work, he works in a bank. He's a bank teller. He's behind one of those windows with the bars, you know. He's got a book open in his lap. He's got customers waiting, and he's reading. He's ignoring them. He's got other people at the bank, including the manager. Henry, hello, Henry, what are we paying you for? Do your job. His wife is always inconveniencing him because she wants some of his attention. I mean, she earns it. She deserves it. But he wants to read instead. He doesn't want to have dinner parties. He doesn't want to have friends over. He doesn't want to do this thing. He doesn't want to do that thing. All he wants to do is read. And one day, by the way, the episode's called Time Enough at Last. Time Enough at Last. One day, Henry is reading during his lunch hour, which is actually totally appropriate. He's reading in the bank vault, just having a nice peaceful moment when there's this explosion. And what happens is that a nuclear bomb is exploded in the town. It's the height of the Cold War, right? But Henry is saved because he's in this closed space. Y'all gonna see the connection to Noah here in just a second. Henry is saved because he's in the safe space. He goes out to see that everyone in the bank is dead. He leaves the building to see that all the buildings in the town square have been demolished. There are just piles of brick and smoke everywhere. And for a moment, Henry Bemis is overcome with the emotion of it all. The reality of it, his wife is dead. Everyone he knew is dead. His co-workers are dead. He's walking through his town, reflecting on his mortality. You know, he's the only one that survived. And as he's walking, 
He walks past the library and he stops. He walks back. The library was Henry Bemis's church, right? It was his sanctuary. It was where he could go to be Henry Bemis, right? Me and books. Perfection. The only time anybody ever annoyed him at the library was at the library and said, oh, by the way, it's time to close. <laughs> you need to leave. Oh, I'm sorry. We're closed this weekend. It's the 4th of July. It's a holiday. But now that everyone is dead and it's only him, time enough at last. No distractions. No one to bother him. No one to demand his attention. Nothing to do except for read. And Bemis, all of a sudden, has never been this happy. He, is, he has this joy. And he stacks up books. His life is fulfilled. Now, Noah gets this message from God. God says to Noah, I have had enough. It's really sad, right? Genesis begins with this wonderful poem in chapter 1 of God creating. And at the end of that seven days, God rests and says, everything is beautiful. It is, I'm so happy with what I've done. And in Genesis 2, the, the first human couple shows their humanity by breaking the one, the one rule that they were given. And in Genesis 3, God expels them from the garden. In Genesis 4, Cain murders his brother Abel. And by Genesis 5, God sees that all of humanity is evil and corrupt. So that in Genesis 6, it's only five chapters, God says... I've really messed this whole thing up. And we're going to start over again. And I'm choosing you, Noah. You and your family are to build an ark. And you're going to settle in it. And you're going to go and you're going to, I don't know how you're going to do this, but you're going to do it. Get pairs of every living creature on earth. And you're going to stow them in the ark with you. And then I'm going to destroy everything else that has the breath of life in it. All of humanity, all of the other animals, even the things that creep upon the earth, everything, and I'm going to start over with you. What does Noah do? He just gets to work. He doesn't say anything to God. He doesn't say, you know, is there another way to do this? Is there a better way to teach this lesson that doesn't involve <laughs> killing everybody? He just starts hammering, and he builds his boat, and he gets his family on there, no questions asked. He somehow herds the animals onto there. And then God closes up the door and starts to rain. And the, the, the little ark floats upon the waters and everything on the earth is destroyed. And then 40 days later, Noah says, it's got to be done by now. So he releases a bird and the bird flies out. It comes back. Okay, it's not done yet. Uh, a week later, releases another bird. It comes back with a branch of a tree in its mouth. So, okay, the waters have receded enough to the tops of the trees are now exposed. Still not safe for humans, though. 
Another week, releases a bird. It doesn't come back. Noah says, okay, it's time to go. They open the door. And the first thing Noah does following the flood is to build an altar like this and uh, offers worship to God. Some of the animals that have been saved on the ark are now given as, a, as an offering to the Lord. And the Lord breathes in the smell of that offering and is pleased with it. And then the next thing that Noah does is he plants a vineyard. And when those grapes are ready, he harvests those grapes and presses them, ferments the juice, it becomes wine. And then Noah just binges on the wine. And he becomes blackout drunk. It, I promise it's there. And, and he, he doesn't, worse than that, which is bad, worse than that though, he doesn't even dress for bed. And so he passes out in his tent naked, which is a disgrace. And one of his sons, Ham, comes by in the morning and just accidentally peeks inside the tent and sees his father exposed there. And then Ham runs to get two of his brothers, and those two guys come, and they are more careful than Ham was because they know what's inside. Ham had no idea. They, they get a blanket, and they each hold a corner of it, and backward, walking backwards, they cover their father's nakedness. Now, sometime later, I don't know if it was that minute or an hour later, whatever, Noah wakes up, presumably with a terrible hangover, and he's furious. It's shame, right? Shame that he feels. But what does he do with his shame? He lashes out at his son, Ham, who had seen him. And then Noah curses Ham's son, Canaan. His grandson, Noah. Noah curses his grandson, Canaan. And all of Canaan's descendants forever. Because Ham saw him exposed. So we have Henry Bemis sitting outside of the library with his books piled up high, basking in his newfound freedom. No more commitments. No one bothering him. No one demanding his time. Time enough at last to do whatever he wants, which is to read. And he sits down, and he's got 30 books on this side, and he's got 30 books on this side. He opens up Stephen King's latest thing, and he's ready to get into it. He puts on his Coke bottle glasses and then drops them accidentally, and they break. And in this moment, he's trying to Make the glasses work, but they're broken. He can't read. And it's in this moment that Bemis realizes his humanity. He realizes all that he has lost. And that he is truly alone in the world. And that's how the episode ends. Noah has just gone through this traumatic event too. I mean, think about the screams of his neighbors outside of the ark. Did they try to crack a window for them or, or not? Who knows? We don't know anything about it. He's seen all of this destruction 
everyone he knew was dead. And then he comes out of that and offers worship, which is great, but then he gets drunk and then he exposes himself and then he curses his grandson and his descendants for all time and it's out of his own shame, his own brokenness. Noah realizes how alone he truly is. But the thing is, he does not own his brokenness. He doesn't say, this was my fault. I'm the one who did that drinking. I'm the one who forgot to put on my PJs. I'm the one who lashed out at somebody else for something that was my fault. He doesn't do any of that. You know, the only words we hear from Noah... It says that he lived to be like 950 years old. The only words that are ever recorded coming out of Noah's mouth are cursing his grandson and his family forever. So the story of Noah and the ark is actually included in our baptismal liturgy. So when a child is baptized or an adult is baptized, we come together as the church by the way, baptisms are never done individually. They're always done in community. And I'll say more about that in a second. But the prayer of the baptismal liturgy tells the story of God acting through water. God saving through water. The Spirit of the Lord hovering over the waters of creation. The ark floating on the waters at the flood. And the rainbow, which is the symbol of the covenant. And it says, uh, it remembers the parting of the Red Sea and the people walking through on dry land. It remembers Jesus being uh, nurtured in the womb of his mother and baptized in the River Jordan. All these symbols of God's salvation, God's power to save, shown through water. And it's true that Noah received God's salvation. It's true that God saved Noah and Noah's family from death. It's also true that Henry Bemis was saved from the explosion, right? Because he's in the vault. But the thing about salvation is it isn't just about the individual. It's also what we learn from it, what we, how we grow on the other side of salvation. In other words, that, that God's saving grace is still at work in us and guiding us and shaping us into something better. And it's this part where we don't see anything from Noah. He never changes. He doesn't grow. The, the covenant relationship that begins with Noah, between Noah and God, it starts here. But it's also renewed throughout the scriptures. And I'm assuming that Pastor Chris is going to tell you this over the series. I'm still going to give it away, right? But if you keep reading in Genesis, you come to the story of Abraham, who was you know, told by God, if you'll leave your hometown and go to where I'm calling you, I will go with you. And I will make of you a great nation. And, and God, one, one starry night, says to Abraham, look at the stars of the skies and the sands of the seashore, so your descendants will be forever. And I'm making a covenant with you, Abraham. 
And the symbol of the covenant is circumcision, not a rainbow. Thanks a lot. Uh, but but, but uh, there's still a symbol that's, that's associated with the relationship, a covenant relationship. A covenant is a, an agreement between two parties. And the thing that helps, makes it special is that it creates accountability between the two. So another example is the covenant that's renewed during the Exodus. God calls Moses. Moses liberates the people from Egypt. They, They settle at the base of the mountain. Moses goes up the mountain, right? He comes down holding what? The tablets of the Ten Commandments, right? You've got a rainbow. You've got circumcision. Now you've got stone tablets. They're symbols of the covenant relationship. But later on, Moses again goes up the mountain. He's gone for a long time. And the people down at the base, are, are, they go restless. Their spiritual leader is gone. And so they fall back to old behaviors, the, the, the practices of, of Egypt where they, they melt down gold and they, they worship this thing that they create. And God is furious. And God says to Moses, using the exact same language that God said to, Mo- to Noah, I've had it with these people and I'm starting over with you. There's actually a really funny thing in that conversation because God says to Moses, these people whom you brought out of Egypt, I've had it. And Moses says, no, these are your people whom you brought out of Egypt. I never asked for this. But Moses, when Moses hears of God's plans to destroy the people, Moses says, oh no, that's not what's going to happen. Because people will say that forever You brought the people out of Egypt in order to destroy them on this mountain. You have a covenant relationship with them. And you may not destroy them. You know what happens? God changes God's mind. In the Abraham story, in Genesis, God says to Abraham, these two neighboring towns over here, they're full of evil people. I've had it. I'm destroying them. Abraham says, no, you're not. Abraham says, Shall not the judge of the earth deal justly? Can you imagine saying that to the creator of the universe? How can Abraham do that? Because of the covenant relationship that he has with God. So over time, the covenant matures. We mature, we grow, even to the point that we can say to God, this is not right. We can say to each other, this is not right. Covenants create accountability. That's why when we baptize someone, it's never done one-on-one. That's not a baptism. That's playing in a pool or something. A baptism involves community. The people reaffirm their baptismal covenant. They say, we will support this child, this young person, this adult, in their growth as a follower of Jesus. We will do that. And if we don't, we will be held accountable to it because we have a covenant. The thing about covenant is it involves transformation. So Bemis in the the bank vault is saved. He does experience salvation, but he is not redeemed. And he's not transformed. He just becomes smaller and smaller and more inwardly 
focused to where at the end, all he has is a pile of books and broken glasses and nothing else. And Noah, sure, he experiences salvation, but he doesn't experience redemption. He doesn't experience transformation. He's not changed. Y'all, look, if all of the world is corrupt and evil, if every human is an F, and Noah had found favor with God, you got to say Noah's like a D minus. He may be a C minus. But he doesn't experience transformation. He doesn't own his own actions. He curses others for his own guilt. That's not growth. Now, we are all part of a covenant relationship. Y'all are members of a church here. You're accountable to one another. The expectation is that you all experience growth throughout your Christian life. You all belong to each other as a covenant community. The, the story of the covenants between God and, and Israel, they're not individual in nature. They're communal. They involve the whole of humanity. And so it, it comes upon us to say, that individually, how am I being transformed? What am I learning? Or is what I'm doing even reflecting my salvation or not? It's personal. But it's also communal. How's my world being transformed? And what role am I playing in that? In our baptismal liturgy, it says that we will stand against evil and injustice in whatever forms they present themselves. Well, how are we doing that? Because we have this accountability. We have this covenant. Or are we not? And then what can we do about it? Covenants create community. So, Henry Bemis has gone through all this stuff. He has this moment of joy because there's no other distractions, no other people to bother him. Good for you. But at the end of the episode, he is just lost, wrecked. And Noah has gone through all this stuff. But what has he learned? How has he grown? The only thing to come out of his mouth is to curse his own people. The covenant goes on throughout history. It's renewed uh, ultimately in the coming of Jesus Christ for all of humanity. And you and I are now part of that and we're doing the work today to say, how am I growing in faith? How is this covenant making me new, transforming me? How am I living out my salvation by day to day being redeemed and showing my redemption so that when others see me, they see the power of Christ in me? So last week, uh, I know Pastor Chris led you all in the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer, which is traditionally prayed by United Methodists, well, Methodists everywhere, at the beginning of the year. And I came across a paraphrase of that prayer that I think speaks to what we're talking about, this covenant relationship. So I'm going to pray this prayer together as we close this morning. Let's, let's pray together.
I once was mine. From this point forward, I am yours. Make clear my purposes in life. Place me among my loved ones and expand my heart to love all. Help me to think the things you want me to think. Say the things you want me to say. And do the things you want me to do. Even if it means I am belittled, ignored, or criticized. Give me courage. Give me people to encourage, serve, and love. Give me times of peace and rest so that I can love and be loved by you. Let me be a light to a dark world so people see you working in me. Make me humble and remind me that everything I have is because of you. Thank you for times of happiness and prosperity. They are a gift. Thank you for your presence and promise in days of sadness and hardship. I emerge stronger and wiser. Let me discover, embrace, and fulfill your will for my life. With joy and in fullness, I give my possessions, my time, and my energy to you and to your purposes. Almighty, holy, and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are my true love and I am yours. And so it is. And let the covenant I'm making here on earth be acceptable and pleasing to you. Amen.